0: is that what you sent it forth to do. Let it be planted in people's lives and let everything be accomplished that your will to be done. We thank you for it right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Alright, I'm talking about navigating through these last days. Now let me tell you up front that this sermon is a transitional sermon out of different things I've preached over the last maybe three or four months. This is kind of I'm going to transition. What I'm going to do next week, if the Lord willing, I know we got a speaker next week, but the next time I preach on this series, the Lord willing, I want to expose the spirit of Baal in a way that you've probably never heard. And then, because it has a lot to do with the rise of the Antichrist in the last days. And then after that, I'm going to preach a sermon. that's going to be very interesting about the emerging church and different things I'm going to tell you something there's several several avenues where the Lord is warning us excuse me just for a moment where the Lord is warning us that there's different things that are coming together and playing into the rise of the Antichrist in this one world government and so I'm ultimately going to end up there in these sermons Okay. so that's where I'm going with this Right now, this is more of a transitional sermon. But I tell you, you can see, as you look across the landscape of things, you can see, if you look into it, about 12 different things going on at the same time all over the world that is setting stage for end-time prophecy regarding the nation of Israel, end-time prophecy regarding a one-world government and a one-world currency, end-time prophecy about an apostate church, the falling away. I mean, there's a lot of different things that you can look right now in our day and you can see, you know, the rise of of the homosexual movement. And Jesus said that it would be as it was in the days of Lot, which is the days of Sodom, when he comes. And that's why whenever I started to pray, I mean, I I love America and all that, but my kingdom more than anything else. I, I love America, but... I, my kingdom is not of this world, and neither is yours. We we're a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Okay, and unfortunately, the kingdoms of the world, the Bible says very clearly, are going to end up going against Israel at some point, and they're they're not moving with the Lord. But when He comes, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ at His coming. But I remember whenever I saw the, the militant homosexual march here recently in Washington and they're wanting gay marriage and all that, and I started to pray about it because it really grieves me seeing America go down this path. But as soon as I started to pray about it, the Lord just spoke to me and said, these things must happen. And it's true because Jesus said, as it was in the days of Lot, it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. And as it was in the days of Noah... So you ought to look into the days of Noah and the days of Lot because Jesus himself said it will be like those days when he comes. And it is moving that direction. So it doesn't take a lot to see end time prophecy being um, fulfilled right before our eyes. There's a lot going on and I'm going to be covering that in this series. I'm going to cover a lot of things I've never preached on. I'm going to talk about a lot of things you've never heard. I'm going to tell you, what, just real quick, and I'll get into this, that there's things going on in so-called Christianity that when I preach this series, series your mouth is going to drop open. You're not going to believe some of the things I'm going to tell you. You're not going to believe it. You're going to be blown away. I'll give you one, and then I'll move on. But there was a, a pastor not that long ago of a Christian church, a large Christian church, that encouraged his people To go to a Buddhist temple and practice their meditation, occult meditation, or whatever, you know, in hopes of finding God. That's just one example. Not to mention when I tell you some of the sexual perversion, some of the things going on. We're living in serious times that really, people, you got to be careful who you're following. Make sure that you know the Bible for yourself and that the people know where they're going. It's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm so thankful that um, God's allowed, you know, Pastor John Kilpatrick to, to be alive in this hour. And for him, you know, allowing me that he's my pastor and allowing that, I'm so thankful for that because I know that he knows where he's going. And regardless of the the tides shifting, all the different deception, everything going on, you've got to be established in what you know in the Word of God because the Word of God is being challenged like never before. Satan is working overtime to get people to not believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Now, because Satan knows that if people will doubt the Bible and not read it, and they start looking at other writings and they get all confused in their mind, they're going to go into hardcore deception. So you have to just establish it within yourself that no matter what college professor tells you, no matter what president or king tells you, no matter what friend or colleague tells you that the Bible is not the word of God, that you know that you know that it is the word of God. It's perfect. Okay? It's holy and you need to study it and believe it. But know what it says and believe it. And also, I'm going to tell you, you've got to get to know the Holy Spirit. Some people in Christianity, they feel like they know the Father. And and I'm sure if they're a true Christian, they know the Son. There's no doubt. They, They know Jesus to a degree. But many people in Christianity, if you ask them, okay, that's good, but do you know the Holy Spirit? They would have to admit that they don't know Him. But the truth of the matter is, the Father and the Son are not here right now. It's the Holy Ghost that's here right now. The Father is in heaven in the third heaven. The Son is at His right hand. He's coming, but He's not here right now. Who's with us? The Holy Spirit is in you. He's with you. He comes upon you in power. He's the one that speaks to you. When you ask the Lord, what do I do? And you hear Him speak to you. That's the Holy Ghost speaking to you. He leads you. When you read the Bible, He helps you understand the Bible. How many knows when you first got saved, you started to read the Bible, it wasn't easy to understand. The Holy Spirit will help you understand it. He'll help you witness. Get to know Him. And that way, once you know the Holy Spirit, you know His voice, you know His presence. When another spirit shows up that tries to pretend to be the Holy Spirit, you can tell that's not the Holy Spirit I spend every day with talking to. That's not him. You need to know the Holy Spirit as well as you know your spouse. Because when your spouse says something, you can be in a crowded room and your spouse will say something and you can hear that voice stick out from everybody else's. When your spouse calls you on the phone, you can tell, even if it's a block number or whatever, as soon as they answer, you can tell that I know that voice. There's a familiarity. You've got to get to know the Holy Spirit like that. To where you know him. You know his presence. And I'm going to tell you something else. I need to get in this. But holiness. We've got to live holy in these last days. God understands that none of us are perfect. And he understands there may be things you've got to work through as a Christian. Where you've had some struggles. But the Holy Ghost. He will reach over there. He'll grab you. And he'll help you strengthen right through that. Into what Jesus wants you to become. But do not under any circumstances, get deceived into thinking it's okay to live in sin because it's not. And people that are justifying sin, they're going to be surprised and Matthew seven twenty one says says, Jesus Jesus said that there would be many people that on judgment day would say to him, Lord, Lord. They called him Lord. Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We, we prayed for the sick and they were healed. We cast out demons. These are church people. And Jesus is going to say depart from me. They're going to end up in hell. Depart from me. I never knew you. You practice lawlessness. Meaning they lived in sin. They went to church. They called Jesus Lord. And they were active doing things in the church. But they were not living right before him. And on judgment day their sin separated them from God. And ended up costing their eternal soul. And it concerns me seeing the level of justification of sin and deception that i'm seeing out there that sin is okay so this is some things i want to go over this is just a, a preliminary thing but luke 14:28 suppose one of you wants to build a tower won't you first sit down and estimate the cost and see if you have enough money to complete it. In other words, count the cost. This is Brother Anthony's anchor uh, scripture last week, and it's mine this week. This is what the Holy Spirit is saying to this church. Count the cost. Jesus said that if somebody put their hand to the plow and then took it off, they're not worthy. Once you start something, the Lord wants you to finish it. He said, unless you deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me, the cross is a death to self. You pick up, what does that mean? That means that you're willing to see the death of Mr. Me. And then Jesus began to put you on like a glove and live his life through you. That can be painful. That's a baptism of fire that a lot of people don't want because it's going to burn everything out that needs to go. That's a death to self that a lot of people don't want because that means that every idol they've ever had is going to have to go. Every every bit of selfishness. Everything about I want to live my life the way I want to live it, when I want to live it, and do whatever I want to do, all that's got to go. It's so all of a sudden now I'm bought with a price. I'm not my own. I belong to Jesus. I'm, not, I'm no longer able to just do whatever I want to do. I have to submit to what He wants for my life. It's a total death to self And letting the Lord live his life through you. That is what the cost is in these last days. Let me tell you, number one. You know, I love my wife and she's an amazing woman of God. But even if, and I know she never will, but even if she fell away from Christ, I've still got to choose to go after Christ for myself. If Brianna fell away, if friends, if family, if my parents, if no matter who, if anybody around me decides they're no longer going to go after Jesus, it would break my heart. But I've got to make up my mind for myself that no matter what, I'm still going to follow Him to the death. And it may be that. But I'm going to follow Him to the death no matter what. No matter who falls away, no matter what happens around me, my faith is not going to be shaken. I remember back in the late 80s, there were some well-known ministers that fell into sin. It was sad. And I believe God has restored them. Praise God for that. But you know what? I remember hearing about these Christians that fell away from the faith because somebody that they idolized fell. What is that about? What is that about? You mean to tell me that you you had such an idol in that person that whenever they fell, now you're going to fall? That doesn't make any sense. Just because some preacher that I looked up to fell into sin, that doesn't affect my faith. That just means I need to pray for them because the Lord needs to restore them. He needs to to touch them afresh and help them. And I love them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm not going to throw stones at them. But I'm going to tell you, that's not going to affect my faith. And I remember hearing people talk about that. They got out of church, away from God, they gave up on the Lord. What is that about? That's concerning. But we've got to count the cost. Count the cost in ministry. You know, I hear people all the time say, well, I'm going to serve the Lord, I give Him my life, I'm going to go into the ministry, I'm going to do what He's called me to do. That's great, but what about 10, 20 years from now? Whenever you've been you know, stabbed in the back a few times and don't think it won't happen to you. Whenever you've been betrayed, when you've been lied about, you've been persecuted, you've been you know, criticized and people have treated you, it, amongst your friends and church people and family, people treated you like the devil. What about then? Are you still going to shake it off and keep going after God? Or are you going to throw in the towel and say, I can't do this anymore? Forget it. Count the cost. People say, I want revival. Well, don't we all? But you know what? There's a price to pay. What about when the principality decides that he's going to turn his scope and get you in his crosshairs and he's going to attack you full on? And all of a sudden now you're wanting to see revival and you've got some high powerful being coming after you and trying to slam you. And now, now all of a sudden you've got people in Christianity calling the move of God a work of demons and that you're some kind of false prophet and false teacher and what's going on is of the devil. And, and all this stuff starts happening. Are you just going to now fold up everything and quit? Or are you just going to just keep going after God? Because I'm going to tell you, don't think that we're any better than anybody else. I remember every great revival has had major critics written up in the newspapers, magazines, things on the internet. You can type in any given... Just, just think about it for a moment and go, I'm going to think of an anointed man or woman of God. And then you get their name. Go to Google and type in their name and you're going to see probably 5 to 10, 15, 20 different pages that are devoted to trying to discredit them. And 99.9% of it is completely 100% fabricated garbage from the pit. Not even a hint of truth to it. And But it's like once you're anointed and you're going to go after God, the devil's going to stir it up. So what are these people supposed to do? Go on Google and type in their name and see all the criticism? Go, well, I guess I just need to quit now. I've got some enemies. Give me a break. Let it make you stronger. You know? So let's count the cost because as we're going into a new season, we have to count the cost. What about maintaining the glory? What about whenever church, all of a sudden there's things that, I want you to hear me on this one, there's things that come up in the church world where maybe there's some people that are not living right at all and they refuse to repent. Are we willing to count the cost that in a loving way, we're going to confront that? You know how many people out there don't confront things? They're afraid of confrontation. They don't want to deal with it. I'm going to tell you something. If leadership in a church condones active, unrepentant sin in a church and will not deal with it, God's glory will leave. Count the cost. You want the glory? So do I. But that means that you've got to protect the glory. You may end up with some enemies that hate your guts because you had to tell them you can't be sleeping with that person that you're not married to. You can't be living with them. You can't be doing this. You know what I'm saying? You, you can't keep living this way. You can't keep going out and getting drunk and getting high. That's not Christ-like. And they may hate you for that. But I would rather have the glory than have them like me. I remember one time thinking about somebody that had um, betrayed me. And they, there was a lot of false accusations and things that were going forth. And it was almost like this person was really, truly wanting me to admit to something I never said. I mean, it was weird. And I remember having to tell the Lord in prayer. I said, Lord, it's not worth it to me to compromise and to lie to keep their friendship. Or to be manipulated and controlled. I'm just not going to do it. And to this day, I don't have their friendship. But you know, it's worth it because I've got God's presence, His glory in my life. And if you start lying and you start compromising, where do you draw the line? If people are going to to begin to manipulate and control you, you can't allow that. You see what I'm saying? If people want you now to become dishonest or to compromise or to wink at things you shouldn't, you may end up losing their friendship to go after God. Because you're just not going to do it. Count the cost. The cost of having the glory. The cost of having revival. The cost of following Jesus. Sometimes you lose all your friends following Jesus. But if you'll keep going after Him, eventually He'll give you some more friends. But regardless, you'll you'll have a relationship with Him that is really special and rare and powerful. Amen? It may cost you family members. There may be people that you're related to that don't like... Your Christianity—they don't like what's going on, and they persecute you. Are you so? Are you going to give up? Is your family's approval more important than Jesus? Or are you just going to keep going after Him with all your heart for whatever He's got? And who knows if you won't compromise? Who knows that down the road, that your accumulative prayers and the mighty anointing that keeps increasing on your life—who knows if one day you won't watch them get hit by the power of God in church? But if you compromise and sell out, you'll never see that day. Let's count the cost. All right. What is it about? You know, we've gone after God. We have the glory in our midst, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and revival. But these are major threats to Satan's kingdom. Because the end result, it may not be immediate, but the end result is a great harvest of souls and the destruction of Satan's works and strongholds. Did you know that having the glory, having the anointing, having revival makes you a target for the enemy? Did you know that? You look at some people in some churches, some ministries, whatever, you know, across the board, and it seems like their life is so easy. But here you are seeing an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and it seems like you're facing the devil. There's a price to pay. You know, Satan's kingdom isn't going to sit back passively and allow a move of God without fighting it. And I mean fighting it tooth and nail. So I'm going to give you some things just to keep you on track. But I believe, you know, we had Passover. We had a deep consecration. I believe after that, That we're about to see another wave of the Holy Spirit. Like a Pentecostal movement like never before. I really believe that. I feel that we're at it. We're on it. It, It's coming. There's another wave of the Holy Spirit that's going to come. And then the harvest. See, that's the feast days. You see Passover, a deep consecration. Then you see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Then you see the harvest. That's the pattern. Cleaning up your life. Fresh anointing, outpouring of the Holy Ghost, harvest. That's always the pattern. So as this harvest begins to come in, prophecies start being fulfilled. Things start happening. We've got to keep our focus on Jesus. Because I'm going to tell you that it can easily get on other things. Your focus can get on the growth. It can get on managing money. It can get on building projects. It can get on you know, trying to minister to the people. It can get too much of a focus on that. You've got to keep your focus on the Lord. And Jesus said his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So as long as you're yoked to him and you're really following him, there's a grace in that. I think what a lot of people try to do is they don't mean to, but they're trying to do it themselves. But if you'll yoke to the Lord and just follow Him and let Him do it through you, just make disciples and witness and, and flow in the power of God, and you'll just let the Holy Spirit do it through you, it's not as hard. But if you're going to sit around and try to strategize, how are we going to do this? And you start trying to use your your mind and your, your human intellect to try to figure it out, and then you start trying to get everybody else, and you start running it like a business. Do you know what I'm talking about? You start running it like a business and get everybody's input and you try to figure out what to do. and Well, this will probably work and then you start doing it. That can really be difficult because you'll find that you're doing it in the flesh. But if you'll pray and fast and seek the Lord, the Lord will speak to you His strategy. And His strategy will see the fruit. We've got to keep our focus on Jesus and not get distracted on other things. Being formed into His image. And Jesus receiving all the glory. Now this is important. Because when revival increases. And you see all these amazing things. I mean you're, you'll see legs grow out. You see creative miracles. And, and you pray for somebody. And they're, they're hit by the power. And they're healed. You see demons come out of people. It's awesome. But if you're not careful. You can allow yourself to get your eyes on yourself and there can be a pride issue and you can allow the glory and the attention that belongs to Jesus to come to you or to another person we've got to make sure that Jesus keeps getting all the glory every time somebody's healed make it a point to say Jesus healed you I might have prayed for you brother Zach might have prayed for you dad might have prayed for you somebody. it doesn't matter who prayed for you it doesn't matter whose hand went on your head that's not what's important What's important is, is that Jesus touched you. And Jesus is the one that healed you. You know, demons come out of people. You know, and people have tried to tried sometimes to say to me when I've gone place of ministry, well, you did this, this, and this. And I'm like, no, I actually didn't do that. I prayed for you. Jesus did it. Jesus is the one that drove out the demons. Jesus is the one that healed you. And it's important that you keep doing that because I remember... There's been times in revival, moves of God, where people have gotten their eyes on man. And they would say things like, well, this preacher healed this person. They would say that. And the preacher doesn't like that. I'm not saying that they're going along with it. But the people will start talking that way. Well, so-and-so healed them. So-and-so may be an incredible man or woman of God. But so-and-so couldn't heal him if they wanted to. It was the power of the Holy Ghost that healed him. It was Jesus that healed him. Make sure in the days to come that we're giving Jesus all the glory and we're not going to get distracted. It doesn't matter how powerfully God uses you. You may may be in a situation where somebody's dead. There's no heartbeat and you pray for them and they get raised from the dead. I'll tell you what you better do. You better get down on your face and thank Jesus for raising them from the dead and don't go around thinking, look what I did. Look at me. Because that type of stuff leads to a fall in humiliation and destruction. Evan Roberts, during the Great Welsh Revival, went on a small sabbatical, right in the height of revival. Can you imagine? Right in the height of revival, the leader of the revival says, see y'all later, I'm going to go pray and seek God. Disappears. People were mad at him. But he said, I feel compelled to go seek the Lord. So for a week or two, I believe it was a week, He just disappeared and went and prayed. And people thought, man, what's going to happen to the revival? But anyway, Evan Roberts went and sought God. And this is the four warnings the Holy Ghost gave him. The Holy Spirit spoke to Evan Roberts and said this. Number one, you must take great care to do what God says and only that. As Moses missed God when he struck the rock. Did you hear that? You must be careful to do what the Lord says and only that. God told Moses to speak to the rock. And I could just see Moses after all those years of all this grumbling and complaining. Can't you just picture it? Old Moses, he'd probably, you know, gotten old and he had his staff and he just straight up lost his temper. You bunch of grumbling, complaining people, I'll show you, whack, hit the rock, you know. And you know what? It cost him the promised lamb. You gotta be careful to do what God says, and then remember um, the king Saul. God told him, "Go wipe out the Amalekites. Kill all the men, all the women, all the children, all their cattle, all their sheep. Everything needs to be dead." King Saul. Thinks it's a good idea to not listen to God. Let's go in there and we will kill those we want to kill. And they brought the king out alive and they brought out all the good cattle and the sheep that they wanted. And the prophet Samuel had a Holy Ghost temper tantrum on him and uh, said, You know what? God has ripped away the kingdom from, from you today and he's given it to somebody else. Saul lost the kingdom lost his kingdom over that. So the point Evan Roberts was making, make sure that you do what God says. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Pray and do what God says. Number two, make sure and take every matter to prayer, no matter how insignificant. Joshua missed this when he made a covenant with the Gibeonites. You guys remember that? God spoke to Joshua and he said, listen, you guys go out through this land And you you drive out everybody, kill everybody, drive them out, drive them out. So Joshua goes in, the walls of Jericho come down, they wipe out that city, they they go to Ai, they're doing good. The Gibeonites see this and they think, we're dead people standing, we are dead, they're going to wipe us out. So they said, how can we? So what they did was, they got some old, moldy bread and they got some dirty garments, and they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to act like we've come from a far distant land. And so they got their nasty bread, their old garments, and they look like they've been traveling for months. And they come up to Joshua in his camp and say, Joshua, we want to make a covenant with you. We know that God is with you and we know God's going to give you this land and we want you to swear before God that you will not kill us. And Joshua says, well, he looks at their moldy, nasty bread and their garments and thinks, well, these these people, surely they're not from Canaan, you know. They've come from far away. So he says, I tell you what, I swear before God, I make a covenant with you that we will not harm you. And then after the fact, Joshua finds out they live right up the road. He says, whoops. (laughs) So the point being that Joshua should have prayed about that, we need to make sure that we take every matter to prayer and don't just assume things. You know, when it comes to financial transactions, just like where we're going to go from From this place to the next. Believe me when I tell you that I'm praying about it. You don't just do it because you know it seems like the good thing to do. You know just because something seems good. Sometimes it can be a catastrophe. If you don't hear from God. Number three. Total obedience to the Holy Spirit. Evan Roberts was big on that. And number four. Make sure to give God all the glory. Those were the four warnings the Holy Spirit gave him. After he came back from that sabbatical and he shared those and he began to apply those, the revival took off. The next point is this. Make sure that you preach the whole counsel of God. Don't pick and choose what you preach. You know, there's people out there, they'll, they'll say, well, I like certain things in the Bible and I don't like others. It doesn't matter what you like. It doesn't matter what I like. It doesn't matter what the other church down the road likes. God said it. Whether we like it or not, we need to submit to it, come under that authority. So preach the whole counsel of God. We've got to preach Jesus as the Savior, Jesus as the healer, Jesus as the deliverer, the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, and soon coming King. We've got to preach Christ and the cross and get people's eyes on the Lord. Don't compromise it. Did you know as I get into this series you'd be shocked and surprised at how many Christian people and churches more and more and more large numbers, large mega churches are leaning more and more toward that well, Jesus is one way to God. But you know, in and, and the Bible I mean it's inspired of God but there's other books. Friend, there is no way you can get to heaven outside of jesus these people are in for a rude awakening but jesus said there'll be great deception in the last days he said don't be deceived first thing out of jesus mouth they said well jesus tell us about the last days jesus said okay everybody sit down number one don't be deceived because there's going to be great deception so let me spell it out real clear There's only one way to heaven, that's through Jesus. Any other way, God will not accept. And there's only one book that is from heaven, that's the Bible. That's it. There's not another holy book that God has put his stamp on. The next thing is stay close to the Lord in prayer and know the word for yourself. I've already talked a little bit about this, but make sure that you have a strong prayer life and you know the Bible for yourself. The next one is be willing to be different. How many are willing to be different? That's something that I prayed about a long time ago, but we've got to be willing to be different because if you go along with the status quo of everything else that's accepted and everything else that everybody else is doing, you're just going to be just like everybody else and see the same things that they're seeing. You have to be willing to be different, but to be different means you're going to be persecuted. There's no doubt about it. Just for the very fact that you're different, people will persecute. But the Bible says that God pours new wine into new wineskins. You know what new wineskins are? It's people that are willing to be different and willing to go against the grain and willing to go with God and being willing to see an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And they're willing to be flexible and move with God and do what he's called them to do. That's a new wineskin. You know what an old wineskin is? It's people that have been doing the same thing for 50 years seeing the same results, but they don't want to change. They like their traditions, they like the same old song and dance, and they want to keep doing the same thing. I remember years ago I would left a church where I was youth pastor, and I came. they asked me to come back. It was like six, seven years later. And I'll never forget when I walked in there during the church service, it, it made me sad because literally it was the same people, the same place, the exact same songs, the same sermons, the same level of the move of God, which was hardly anything. The, everything was like exactly the same, except that some of the people that had dark hair now had gray hair. They sat in the same place. They did the same thing. Friend, that, that is not good. That we've got to be progressing. The Bible talks about from glory to glory. That we're progressing in the Lord. We're going into new things God's called us into. When you get stuck into something like that, you know what that is? That's the wilderness, man. That's where you're going around in a circle and you're just doing the same thing. That's a wilderness. But when you start taking promised lands and pressing into something new and fresh, that, that's awesome. we got to have perseverance because when you're willing to be different, you're going to be misunderstood and persecuted. Let me say one more thing and then I want to get into the religious spirit and talk a little bit about that. But this is the last point I want to make here. Showing honor to all around you. Your attitude of honor causes you to be postured to receive from God. We need to honor one another. Honor and show respect and honor to people. It's so important. Jesus left there In Nazareth, and he went to, I'm sorry, he left where he was at and went to Nazareth, his hometown, accompanied by his disciples when the Sabbath came. So it was church day. He was going to go to church. He began to teach in the synagogue. He went to church, he started teaching. Those who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked. What's this wisdom that's been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles that he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't that Mary's son? And the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown among his relatives in his own home. And he could not... Listen to this. It says could not. I used to have a problem with that, but it actually says that in the Bible. It says that Jesus could not. Not that he would not. It says he could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith, the the disrespect and the dishonor that they showed Jesus. They weren't honoring him; they disrespected him. Who's this guy think he is coming in here? You know, we know he grew up here. He's just a carpenter, and that, look, there's his brothers right there and his sister. We've known these people our whole lives. Who's this guy think he is coming in here, praying for people? And they took offense at him, and they they disrespect and dishonored him, and because of that, the father would not do much there. The Father saw the way they were treating Jesus, and the Father said, I'm not going to do much there. Because see, Jesus said, I don't do what I want to do, I do what I see the Father doing, I speak what I hear Him speaking. So Jesus could not do many miracles there. He could not. Because the Father wouldn't permit it. Because they had disrespected Jesus, and dishonored him. Does that make sense? We've got to make sure that we honor each other, show honor, show respect. Show honor and respect to the moves of God that are going on. You know, if God's pouring out His Spirit somewhere, make sure to honor that. If God's hand is on somebody and God's anointed them, make sure and honor that anointing. Show respect, show honor. When you do that and you're humble and you honor, it sets you up for great miracles. And that's what Jesus meant when he said this. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive the prophet's reward. That's what Jesus meant. You honor that prophet as a prophet. You honor that prophetic gift in him. Well, you know why Jesus said that and he didn't say honor an evangelist or honor a pastor. You know why he said a prophet? Because he knew that that would be the most persecuted office. But he said if you will welcome and honor that prophet as a prophet, you will receive that reward. See, when you humble yourself and you honor people. You know, Sandy and I had a chance to get prayer from different people over the years. You know, we, we went to the ramp and saw Karen Wheaton. But you know, we went up there and honored her, you know, and we talked to her and, and, and we, we were showing respect and honor to her, and she prayed for us and the power of God hit us strong. And I could give story after story after story, but if you go up there and you're all cocky, you know, you got this attitude, or you're disrespectful. Your, your heart of disrespect and dishonor to somebody can stop where the Holy Spirit won't do anything I've prayed for people I've laid hands on people and I mean it's not like it was a different hand I mean I went from person to person one person is getting thrown this way one person is getting this one person and then I get to somebody that has an attitude problem with me and nothing happened and then I went to the next people and it started picking right back up again You know why? Because the Holy Spirit said, this person's honoring, this person's honoring. Nope. I mean, I didn't do anything different. Same hand. I'm just going through praying for people. Honor and respect. Posture you for miracles. Another thing, I'm going to start moving pretty quick. Another thing is, understand and know the gifts and calling and use what God's given you. Remember the parable of the talents. There was a wicked person that buried their one little talent, and they wouldn't use it. And the Lord got angry and took it away from them, gave it to somebody else. What are your giftings? If you're called into the ministry, are you an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher? What gifts of Romans chapter 12 do you have? Contributing to the needs of others, servanthood, encouragement, administration. What is it that the Father's put in you? What giftings has the Holy Ghost put in you? Words of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, tongues, interpretation. You need to go through Ephesians 4.11, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and you need to write down what giftings God has put in you. Because the Lord wants you to begin to function and operate in those giftings. Now if you're called into the ministry, it may not be time yet. Let God develop you on the inside, and then when He's done, He'll start using you on the outside. But nonetheless, you know, we need to go ahead and let the Lord begin to develop us in our giftings. In the season we're moving into, don't be surprised if things don't fling wide open and there's a lot more opportunity for that. Reciprocity, the law of reciprocity, which means sowing and reaping. You know, you reap what you sow. That's financially. That's your time. I'm going to tell you something else. You know, we want God's blessing. I want God's blessing. I'm going to tell you how you get God's blessing. Is you're an honorable person. And you sow honor to other people. And what I mean by that is this. There was an old man that lived in um, Cattle Mills area. And I'd met with him years ago, and he was telling me about he had this facility, and he would let churches come in and use it. And he told me all these stories about people. These these are pastors. These are church people. It isn't like this was a bar, okay? These are pastors and church people that would rip him off. They would steal his music equipment. They would they they would you know use all these electric bills or whatever and then they wouldn't pay him he had to pay him that is not the way to get god's blessing and let me tell you something else you reap what you sow i couldn't imagine for the life of me and i'm not saying this because i feel like i'm better than anybody i'm just saying it that i couldn't imagine that god forbid that this had been stolen from somebody and here we are preaching and using this in god's holy house you can't tell me that the holy spirit's gonna bless that Some people take advantage of people that God. They'll uh, somebody will open a door for them to use their stuff or use their their building or whatever, and they'll trash it. They'll trash their stuff. They don't take care of it. They break it. They trash things. That's not a way to get God's blessing. You reap what you sow. I guess I was raised a certain way, but whenever you know somebody lets you borrow something, you take care of it, man. And if and if it gets broken or something, you buy them a new one. You know, if if you if somebody lets you use their facility, you take better care of it than you do your own house. You honor that house. You, if if something's spilled, you take time to clean it up. You know, if something gets messed up, you fix it. And I'm going to tell you something. If you'll honor other people's house and you'll honor them, you'll honor their money, you'll honor their people. Like if we use a facility and, and, it's, and it's a church or whatever, you honor that pastor there, you honor those people. God will bless you. You reap what you sow. There was one church that had burned another church, pulled the rug out from under them, ran them out, hurt them, and then their doors shut. You reap what you sow. Humility brings honor. It's not always easy to turn the other cheek. There's times that you're in the flesh and somebody strikes you on one cheek. And you want to kung fu kick them in their cheek. But you can't do that. You have to humble yourself. Humility brings honor. And be wise with what you speak. Remember life and death is in the tongue. Be careful what you say. What you say will happen. And I'm going to give you one more thing and I'm going to move into this religious spirit. I want to expose this. But unity is the greatest key to success. I remember Pat Robertson talking about this story. He said that they were doing a building project he had heard from god and he stepped out in faith everybody say stepped out in faith faith. god does not operate like a secular business many times god will not come to you in some form and go here's all the money everything you ever need now step out many times god will tell you you step out on the water and then i'll meet the need." So Pat Robertson heard from God about doing this and they needed millions of dollars and the secular business people that were working for him got angry. And they said, we don't know what's wrong with you. We don't agree with you. This is, utter, it's going to utterly fail. And Pat knew the Bible and he knew that if, we, if they weren't in unity that it would fail. And so he gathered all the people together and he told them, he said, listen, if, the, if I've heard from God and this is God and y'all are opposing me, it will fail. But he said, if we are all in unity, even if I made a mistake and I didn't totally hear from God, but we're all in unity and we're all praying and we're going after God together, he said, we'll still have success. So he said, I'm not asking you to agree with me about everything. I'm just asking you to keep your mouth shut and quit being negative. That's what he said. He said, "Keep your mouth shut and quit being negative. Don't complain. Don't resist me. Let's just have unity about it." And you know, after he spoke that, and the people agreed, as he told him, "I'm not asking you know for you to do anything great. I'm just asking for you just to be quiet. Just, just that's it. Quit speaking against it and quit opposing me. Just be silent." And he said, after that talk, and everybody agreed to that he said they had a million dollars come in then they had the next million come in then the next million and they built the thing debt-free and it was a miracle it was miraculous and let me tell you about unity unity is something that will cause success but when you have discord in the camp that's whenever things will start falling apart that's why god sometimes has to find a divisive person And just pluck them out like an infected tooth. They'll be in a church and they don't mean to. But they're like poisoning the church. And God's got to reach in there and pull them out like an infected tooth. And they go out yelling and screaming and they hate the pastor. And you know how it is. So, but anyway, God's got to remove them. So in the days ahead, there may be times that we've got to step out on crazy faith. To do what God's called you to do. Crazy faith. You've heard from God, but people look at you like you're an idiot. What's wrong with you? But as you step out in faith, God will meet the need. God has spoken to us about momentum. The momentum has to do with faith. That we believe God, that what He has spoken and what we've prayed about is happening. You know what I mean by that? What I mean by that is this, there's been prophecies over America that revival is coming. You know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to sit around in a dark room listening to an Obama speech that sounds you know, ungodly and, and, and looking at the Congress fighting and I got my head buried in my hands thinking, I guess God's not going to send revival, we're all doomed. I'm not going to do that. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to believe that the prophetic people heard from God and I'm going to keep praying, I'm going to keep believing that revival is hitting this nation, I'm going to speak that, and I'm going to stay in faith. Somebody needs to. I hear all these people that are out there, that, that are you know talking about America and how we're all doomed. Well, you know what, I know that there are some things that are wrong, they're very wrong. And I know that there probably will be some judgments, but God said He's sending revival. He said it. And he's going to send revival, and revival is going to turn a lot of that stuff around. Think about it. When revival sweeps this land and all these heathen people that have been these atheists that don't got anything better to do with their time then they're trying to fight a bunch of little kids like in an elementary school because there's a little picture of Jesus somewhere in their school and it just so offends their little heart, they can't stand it, that they're going to go hire lawyers and pay all these big bucks to get it. You know, whenever all those type of people that bless their heart are just as weird as can be, all of them start getting saved. And all the people that are in sexual perversion start getting saved. All the people that were the witches start getting saved. You know as well as I do, they're going to vote different, they're going to think different, they're going to quit, all the criminal activity they've been doing is going to dry up, and this nation's going to start turning. They're going to start voting people in the office that believe the way they do now. So let's not get the cart before the horse. Let's pray in revival. I mean, we need to get out there and vote, but don't sit around getting depressed about the way things are. Another thing is, your confession, what you speak out of your mouth, has a lot to do with things. You know, we've had this 40 days. I don't know if you remember what we prayed about, but I believe that it's happening. We may not see it in three months. We may not even see some of it in two years. We may not see some of it in three or four years, but we're still going to see it. It's still happening. It's in the works. God's Holy Ghost is moving and angels are on assignment. But it's important that we believe that and we speak that. Because at any point in time, if people start getting the attitude, well, I haven't seen what we prayed about in the 40 days, so I guess God just didn't answer and I guess it's not going to happen. That right there can stop it. But if you're in faith and you're speaking out, I thank you, Lord, and what we prayed about in the 40 days is happening. I may not see all of it yet, but the outworking is there. For years, we're going to see this thing break open. It's happening. I thank you for it. As you speak that, it keeps moving things forward. There's a momentum there created by your faith in what you're speaking. There's a momentum another thing that Pastor Steve had a dream about, a, a freight train or whatever, that there was a fuel source. And while people were praying in the Spirit, the fuel source was really high, and so the train was moving forward really strong. But when they, when they stopped praying in the Spirit, the fuel source started drying up and the train slowed down. That's about momentum. We, we've got to have faith, and we've got to speak faith, but we've also got to keep praying. There's an outworking of this 40 days that we're going to see, I'm telling you, for the next seven years. You know, I kept prophesying that everywhere we went. It just kept coming out of my mouth. And then I went back over one of the prophetic words that Brother Kilpatrick spoke. It said that, and I forgot about this. I was just saying this prophetically. I'm telling you, the next seven years, I kept saying everywhere we went. And then I read back over one of the prophecies, and at the end of it, it said the next seven years... You will see explosive increase in growth. It said that in the prophecy, and so I thought. Well, of course. Now, then I thought. Well, of course, the next seven years—that's what we've been praying and fasting about. You know, well, it's important that we believe it. How many knows that we've been battling a stronghold of religious witchcraft in this region? But I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to close out with this. I'm going I've, to. I've done a lot of sermons in exposing witchcraft. Okay, so I'm not going to go there. We all know about the Jezebel spirit. We all know about witchcraft, manipulation, intimidation, control. And with that said, you know God's given us breakthroughs. We used to fight this thing a lot in the past, but since God is, there's people that are no longer here. It seems like it's cleared up. But I'll tell you this: the religious spirit. This stuff is no joke, friend. This is some powerful stuff. The Bible says in the last days. By the way, you guys like my Sea World Cup? I ended up. In this. Yeah, rabbit trailing. I remember feeding the dolphins. That fish really stunk, though, that we fed them. They liked it. Dolphins are pretty cool. They're like dogs, you know, they come up to you and pet them. Or anyway, that was totally off. (laughs) Y'all like that? I was seeing who was paying attention, that's what it was. It was a test the whole time. All right, so anyway, a religious spirit. I've got notes. I know where I'm at. <laughs> Alright. Alright. Matthew 23:13. Listen what Jesus said. He was talking to the Pharisees. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. I want you to notice the word hypocrite. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourself do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. So you see, hypocrisy is linked to a religious spirit. And what we have in this region is we have a witchcraft spirit and a religious spirit and it's come together and it plays on one another. You've got the religious people and because they're religious they want to control. And then you've got the control, the witchcraft, the intim- intimidation, manipulation, all that and it's connected to religion. So it plays on each other. It's a religious witchcraft stronghold. That's what we're dealing with. And I'm going to expose religion because the way you conquer stuff in a a geographic area. If a lot of people in this area have an issue with religion and witchcraft, that spirit has a right to do that. It has a right to be here until all the people repent. The way you get free from it is you let the Lord get out of you anything in your life that's giving that thing a right to mess with you. And once you get all of that out of your life, that being... Or beings, how many they are? They can't, they can't manipulate you anymore, because there's nothing in you for them to mess with. So that's where I'm going with this. I want to make sure that there's no religion in us. I remember, for one example, that I'd grown up in Pentecost, so tongues had never bothered me. I know some people that tongues really bothered. See, it's what it is is that that religious spirit got in them in offense toward tongues. But I remember years ago when Rodney Howard Brown started having these meetings and all these people be laughing. If you hear Rodney tell the story, it's pretty funny. He was in upstate New York and he was just preaching and all of a sudden people started laughing. And he thought, What's wrong with you people? I'm not telling jokes, I'm not trying to be funny, what's going on? He thought it was just an aberration, you know. And so he goes he goes to the next meeting and people start laughing. And he looks at his wife like, What's wrong with these people? And then he goes to the next meeting, it starts happening again, and he looks at his wife and it's like, it's following us! <laughs> anyway, it was. It was a revival. But I remember as I come out of uh, Pentecostal background, I mean, I was, I was okay with the tongues, and I was okay with a lot of things, but I remember just being leery, like, what's up with everybody laughing? That's kind of weird. But I mean, I was not though so critical. There's a difference. I was just kind of like, what's up with that? And... Um, Praise God that God had put in my life these two elderly women that were intercessors. So they were real sensitive to the Holy Ghost. And I remember as a young man, 19 years old, I would spend my time with these older ladies that were teaching me how to pray. And um, they they would take me to all these meetings. Have you been to see Rodney Howard Brown? I said, no. I and they said, well, let's go. So they take me. We'd drive down to wherever he was, you know. But I remember even though I was not, I wouldn't say I was skeptical or critical. I was just curious, like, what's going on? But I remember as we drove up to Calvary Cathedral or Fort Worth, back whenever that major revival was going on there, when we even drove up near it, the power of God was so strong. I mean, it was just like your body was just trembling under glory. And see, the the point is is being sensitive to that because some people bless their heart; they're so religious. There's like a shell around them. It's like it's like God has got to get one of those old shell and just crack them open, you know, to even. I mean, seriously, it's like this shell, this crusty shell around them that they can't, they'll can't. they sit in a revival meeting where God is so powerfully there, and they'll sit there like this. This isn't God. Where's God in this? And you're sitting there thinking, man, what's wrong with you? You can't feel this. I don't feel anything. <laughs> feel nothing. And uh, it's concerning, you know, but they don't, and they don't feel anything. And everybody's getting prayer and somebody walks by and touches them. They just stand there like this. They it. That's a religious spirit. And there's the Leviathan, it says, the scales of Leviathan are so knit together so tight that wind can't get in between. That Leviathan is pride. There's so much pride about them that God can't. It's like they can't feel. They can't sense anything. It's a very scary place to be. Because these people that they need God's Holy Spirit in their life and they're resisting it. They need it, but they're resisting. It. I remember Steve Hill telling a story one time, and I'm not sure very many people were there when he was telling it, but he was saying that he was praying for people and there was this guy, had a couple of bodyguards with him. He was actually a minister. He was a very, very arrogant man though, and he was standing there like, Let's see what you got. It's real prideful. And Steve walked by and was praying for people, everybody's getting hit by the power, and Steve prays for him. And when he did, Brother Steve said that the power of God hit him, and he went flying back. And Brother Steve said he was on the floor getting back up, and he knew this guy's thinking, see, look how powerful I am. And Brother Steve was thinking, though, that's not what just happened, buddy. What happened was what God wanted to touch you with came back on me. Think about that for a little bit. But a religious spirit. A religious spirit leans toward getting people to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Remember that. The Pharisees blasphemed the Holy Spirit. It's one thing to blaspheme the Father. For whatever reason, the Father, you'll be forgiven for that. There's one thing to blaspheme Jesus. For whatever reason, God will forgive that. But Jesus said, if you blaspheme the Spirit, there's no forgiveness. And I promise you that none of you guys in here have done that, so don't get all weird on me. You haven't done it because you wouldn't be here. I'm just telling you, you wouldn't be here right now if you had. The blasphemy of the Spirit is where you call the Holy Spirit a demon. And you call what He's doing demonic. The Pharisees looked at Jesus. Jesus said... I'm doing this by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Pharisees said, you're not doing that by the Holy Spirit. You're, do- you're demon possessed. Can you imagine somebody telling Jesus he's demon possessed? And Jesus is probably thinking and saying to everybody, I'm not demon possessed. What's wrong with you people? But they said, you're not doing this by the Holy Spirit. You're doing these miraculous works by Demons. You're doing this by the power of demons, and whenever Jesus said, he said, "If you speak against the Son of Man, you can be forgiven, but if you speak against the Holy Spirit, you won't be forgiven." And he, and he started talking about the blasphemy of the spirit. See what a religious spirit will do when, when a religious spirit is allowed in somebody's life, it will harden them from the Holy Spirit, where they can't really sense God's nearness and they can't be touched, but it will also cause, they will have a tendency to blaspheme the Spirit. They'll see a church service where somebody is thrown in the air, they're shaking on the ground, they're coming off the ground because they're shaking so hard, and they'll point at that and say, That's a demon. And the whole time it's a holy it's the Holy Ghost. You've got to be careful with that. Sometimes it can be a demonic spirit, but you gotta be careful with that. You know, if if you're just flippantly saying everything's of the devil, you can end up saying you can end up blaspheming the spirit. You just need to be careful with that. The Holy Spirit knows that you're gonna test the spirits and and he knows that you're going to be cautious. He's not offended by that. He wants you to do that. But I'm talking about these these arrogant people that are just condescendingly speaking like that. Like that's demonic. That's a demon. And the whole time it's the Holy Spirit. They'll see somebody laughing. They'll see somebody crying. And they'll say, that's demonic. One of the things recently, and um, you know, I could be wrong about this, but I, I don't think so. But I know that there's a, a recent movement with a lot of these revival critics that, that say that the Holy Spirit, that a lot of these people have this Kundalini spirit, which is out of Hinduism, yoga. Um, I could be wrong, but in my opinion, I'm concerned that many of them are blaspheming the spirit. Because they're calling the Holy Spirit a Kundalini spirit, which is a demon. See, Hinduism and all these other things, it, yes, that is demonic, the Hinduism. And the Buddhism and all that, they they do have demonic spirits. But that's Satan's counterfeit. There is a real. You know? I think a lot of these people, there there's no counterfeit in real. It's just like if it's supernatural, it must be the devil. That's a dangerous place to be. And also a religious spirit. 1 Timothy 4.1 The Holy Spirit clearly says that in the latter times some will abandon the faith. We're seeing that today. And follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. We're seeing that today. We're seeing people that are following deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. In our lifetime we're seeing it. Such teachings come through who? Hypocritical liars. I want you to notice the word hypocrite and I want you to notice the word liar. I'm going to come back to that. Whose consciences have been seared, as with a hot iron. Now I want you to notice a seared conscience. What is concerning about a religious spirit is also this. A religious spirit has a tendency for people to be hypocritical. And let me explain what biblical hypocrisy is. It does not mean that whenever somebody is not perfect, and they're trying to live for the Lord, but they have their imperfections they're working through, that's not a hypocrite. A hypocrite is somebody, and back in the Bible times, if you look at the Greek word for hypocrite, back in those days, before photography, before moving pictures, before Hollywood, whenever they would do dramas, and there was a theater, they would have people that would play multiple parts. I mean, they would really quickly be dressed as some guy and then they'd run backstage, come back, and they'd be dressed like a woman. Or maybe they would have half their face painted one way and they would stand like this. And then they would turn and they'd have their face another way and they would speak like this. And they were playing two different characters. Or they would have a mask. And so they would come out and they would put up one mask and they would be one character. And then they would put that down and they'd pick up a different mask and be a different character. What biblical hypocrisy is is when somebody's one way... But they're also another way. They have this mask on when they're with these people. But they have this mask on when they're with these people. That's biblical hypocrisy. And Jesus said, woe to the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they're hypocrites. Because he said, if you read down through there, you'll be one way in front of people. But you don't even practice what you preach in private. That's what he was saying. He said, you're whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're dead men's bones. So in other words, what Jesus had a problem with the Pharisees was, here you are teaching the law of Moses to these people in such a condescending way. You've got these big wide phylacteries. You've got these really long tassels on your prayer shawl so that you look almighty and spiritual. And you talk so condescending to them that you're so superior to them, yet when you're in secret, you're disobeying the very law you preached. All of us have got to guard against these things. How many preachers? How many board members? How many elders? How many church people? How many youth pastors? How many people have slipped into things? They've allowed something to creep in. They knew it was wrong. But they allowed it to creep in. And instead of humbling themselves and getting on their face and getting it out, a religious spirit deceived them into thinking it's okay and to justify it. And so pretty soon they would go to church and this would be the mask they got on. And then they would go home and they're doing things in secret that nobody knows about that totally goes against the Bible. you see what I'm saying? That's a religious spirit because it brings hypocrisy in. So let me break down some of this. If we're not careful and we get hypocritical, And we're not careful and we start lying. Because see, when somebody starts being hypocritical, what do they do? They start lying about it. To cover it. But here's here's what I want you to see. The hypocrisy comes. Then they've got a lie now to cover it up. The result? A seared conscience. That's the progression. It starts with hypocrisy. Then it works into lying. Then it works into a seared conscience, which means that their conscience is now hardened and they don't feel convicted about it anymore. That's a dangerous, scary place to be. The Holy Spirit worked on them and worked on them and worked on them, but they kept hardening their own heart because they wanted that sin or whatever, and they kept living a hypocritical life. They kept lying about it, and now their own conscience is seared because they've refused to repent. They've hardened their own heart to God. Let me break down a religious spirit. A religious spirit works very strongly through idols because it wants us to get our eyes off of Jesus and onto other things. Once you get your eyes off the Lord and on other things, that's the beginning of a religious spirit taking you down. Don't allow worship music to become an idol. Don't allow an anointed worship band. Don't allow a preacher. Don't allow anything, anybody cars money whatever don't allow anything it's got to be all about jesus number two a religious spirit will cause spiritual death and then it will offer a counterfeit a religious spirit will wrap around somebody's life like a wet blanket and put out the fire and so now there's like a spiritual death that has covered them and they don't have God's manifest presence. They don't have the glory. They don't have that fellowship with the Holy Spirit like they used to, because they've allowed a religious spirit in. So what does the devil do next? He offers them a counterfeit. And it usually will be a python spirit. A python spirit is mentioned in the Bible with a soothsaying witchy woman that was following around Paul, shouting, You're you know, prophets of the Most High God, and the whole time it was a demon of divination. That's a a python spirit. What a python spirit is, it's a spirit that pretends to be the Holy Spirit. And it's not the Holy Spirit, but it pretends to be. It will bring counterfeit revelation, counterfeit dreams, counterfeit vision. You'll hear a voice. It tries to act just like the Holy Spirit. And once somebody allows a religious spirit to come in their life and snuff out the move of God, Satan will then try to let that counterfeit python spirit come in and it'll wrap around somebody And come up like this and start whispering in their ear and they think it's the Holy Spirit. That's why you see people sometimes that say they believe it's God to lead this rebellion against the pastor or to split a church. There's no way that's God. What voice are they listening to? But there's something that's sitting there that's whispering to them and they're listening to that. I'm warning you, be careful about a religious spirit. The next thing about a religious spirit is It creates physical death and infirmity. I believe with all my heart that churches should have the power of God so strong that all of us should be getting the victory. And I say this saying even for us, let's go all the way with God to get the victory and see the fullness of what Jesus paid for us on the cross. But it should be in churches. We all should be. If we're not there, we should be striving for it. But there should be the power of God there to break the power of sickness and break the power of strongholds. It may take some time. You may have to pray and fast and get there, but it's available. But what a religious spirit does, a religious spirit will settle down over a congregation and get them to believe that healing is not for today. The gifts of the spirit are not for today. And there's a structure, a literal stronghold that begins the form of death. And when that stronghold of death settles over that church, pretty soon people get sick and there's no healing. They don't get a breakthrough. Why? Because it's a literal demonic oppression. It's a stronghold of death. And you see the lack of the healings and the miracles that should be happening because there's a stronghold there. And as I mentioned earlier, a religious spirit operates through hypocrisy and compromise. How many people, because of a religious spirit, compromise their convictions? God has spoken to them and dealt with them to not be watching these sort of things, to not be listening to these sort of things. And they know the Holy Spirit has told them, don't do that. They know that. But yet a religious spirit comes in and says, it's okay. And it breeds compromise. Don't allow compromise in. It's a slippery creek bank. Once you go that direction with compromise, you're going to find yourself slipping right into full-on sin before too long. The next thing a religious spirit will do, a religious spirit is critical, fault-finding, and judgmental. That's why you see these critics of revival. You know, they're critical, they're fault-finding, they sit back and judge everything, they judge people. We don't know what's in people's hearts. We all have got to realize that. We don't know what's in people's hearts. But yet many times if we're not careful, we're judging them. We've got to be careful about being critical and fault-finding. Fault-finding is where you see some people, they go into a place and all they can do is find something negative. Have you ever seen that? And it doesn't even have to be in church, I mean anywhere. You go to a football game and the person cannot stand the owner. And so all they can do is just fault-find yeah, well, if he wasn't there, then this would happen. It's just a fault-finding negative person that's critical. And that same type of thing can come into the church world and is demonic. It's a, it's a religious spirit. A religious spirit promotes gossip, slander, lying, and false accusations. Remember the life of Jesus. Who was it that was Jesus' greatest enemy? The um, Pharisees. And what did the Pharisees do? They constantly stirred up gossip and slander and lies and false accusations about Jesus. That's what they always did. A religious spirit will draw in reinforcements. Once it begins to take ground, and it begins to set up a stronghold of death in a church, and doctrines of demons now, where they don't believe in the move of God, they don't believe in the gifts, etc. Once that is established, then that religious spirit will begin to call out for reinforcements and it will call out to leviathan and leviathan will come in and find an arrogant person that will try to destroy that church try to split it up it will call out to a jezebel and ahab spirit that will come in and begin to seduce people once the stronghold of death is there and the religious spirit has set up a stronghold then it tries to call in reinforcements and once those reinforcements get in it can really be very destructive this is good preaching Another thing about a religious spirit is fear that leads to control. I've seen some people that the move of God will be going on, people being touched by God, and they're so scared of the Holy Spirit that they want to get up and they want to run out. Why in the world do they think that that's okay? Whenever the Apostle Paul said, God has not given us a spirit of fear. What are they afraid of? I'll tell you what it is. It's a religious spirit. Many times, and I love these people of this particular denomination, I'm not going to say their name, but that denomination has taught people that it's demonic. And if you ever hear somebody speaking in tongues, they'll say, run to the hills. What is that? Like Texas doesn't have any hills, so where do they run? Run to the hills, run to the mountains. Flee. You know, and it's like this denomination has got people so terrified. The second a message in tongues is, whoop! You know, they run out the back door and people are like, where are they going, you know? That's a religious spirit. A religious spirit produces fear. And once fear comes in, because of fear, people start controlling. (laughs) It It would be less funny if I haven't seen it, but I'm picturing people in my mind have actually seen this. Okay, anyway. Fear produces control, legalism and confusion. Here's another tactic: intimidation tactics. <clears throat> A religious spirit produces intimidation. It will try to intimidate people. The Pharisees tried to intimidate Jesus, but he wasn't going to be intimidated. Many times people will try. you remember whenever the, the apostles had had reached down and Peter picked up that crippled man? And then they had to stand before the Sanhedrin. What was the Sanhedrin? What were the Pharisees doing? They tried to intimidate them. They said, we forbid you from speaking in that name any longer and you're not going to. And it's like they sat up there trying to send this message. We have the power to cut your head off. We can kill you. We can put you in prison. You're going to do what we say. And Peter and John went out there saying, we're going to keep preaching Jesus. You're not going to intimidate us. (coughs) A religious spirit tries to intimidate. But you cannot be insecure and you can't care what other people think. I'll tell you another tactic of the religious spirit is repeated hurt that leads to cold love. That it will cause people to get hurt and therefore they have to work through forgiveness and by the time they finally get to where they forgive and they're starting to get over it, more hurt and then they're trying to work through that, more hurt. This is a religious spirit's tactic against preachers of the gospel to render them ineffective in churches because the people have been so mean to them and so hateful and they've so wounded them and wounded their wife that they can barely function. It's a religious spirit. And they literally sometimes have to fold and just get out of the ministry just to get healed. Or they have to go to some major move of God where God just miraculously heals all those deep, Wounds where where people have been so mean and hateful they've just cut them open. And preachers, they want to love, but it's like they have to guard themselves until they get healed. And it produces cold love and they don't mean it to. Another thing about cold love, cold love and being too hard on people. That's a religious spirit too. A religious spirit will cause a lack of love in people if you know anybody that's got a real strong religious spirit, they are cold as ice. And because of that, they don't really have the ability to be very nice and loving. There's preachers, I've, I've heard stories, that they know some people in their congregations, not here, I've got wonderful but they know some people in their congregations just don't like them. How 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 would you, just put yourself in their shoes for a minute. How would you feel getting up and having to preach and you know some of those people can't stand you? There's people that do it every Sunday. They've got to get up there and preach and they've got eyes that are just glaring at them and they know those people can't stand it, But they still have to get up and preach. There's cold love. And I'll tell you something, in a church that has a religious spirit, you have some person that comes out of deep sin And they're trying, man. They're trying to live for Jesus. But they've had such deep sin in their life. They've grown up in such deep sin that they come into the church, they're not perfect. And those people are way too hard on them. They're like, measure up or get out. There's people that I know stories of people that they were youth, and and the youth pastor and people reached out to the lost. And they got some teenagers coming in. But the teenagers coming in, come from horrible families and they you know they've got maybe piercings and and crazy hairdos and and the way they dress is is, is worldly they may come in with some rock t-shirt on that's got something on it i wouldn't wear you know but they come in and man they're coming to church but anyway they come into church and they're trying to find god and they got these these little old ladies with their bun in their hair they're looking down on them like what are you doing in my church you're an abomination to god get out of here and they and they they may not say it but they make them feel that way and then the people feel rejected they don't just feel rejected by the old lady that's glaring at them they feel rejected by the church as a whole and they ultimately feel rejected by jesus and a lot of times they'll leave out of there and they'll turn to something like satanism that's a religious spirit i remember one time during the brownsville revival There was a group, somebody, there were so many people getting saved, somebody had invited this rock band. And these guys were heathen, I mean, tattoos and piercings, and they were total party animals. And they came to the Brownsville Revival. There they were in line, and they came in. It was either at the church or at one of the Awake America conferences, but it was somewhere where there was a large group of people, and they were coming in, and some religious person had come over to that rock band and said, you're an abomination to God. Well that band was like we were invited here. You know what? We don't need this and they left. And so Steve Hill heard about it. Yeah, he got pretty upset. So he found out I'm not sure if he found out who said it, but I feel sorry for them if he did. But he found out the rock band and he found he he got their phone numbers and he called them. He called the leader and the guy, and Steve calls the leader, and the leader's like, you blankety blanket. just went off on him. You know, we went there, we were invited, we went there, and then we were treated like this. And Steve, Steve's like, wait a second, I'm the evangelist, just give me a minute. And Steve says, if you'll come back, I'll give you my seat. Just come back. And they came and got saved. But see, a religious spirit drives people away. That's what Jesus was saying when he said, you don't enter in, and you keep others from entering in. Just because somebody comes in and they've got, they may have a swastika tattooed on their forehead, okay? Don't be all judgmental. You don't know what they come out of. You never know. Give people a chance. If they have the chance and if they reject Christ, that's one thing. But give them a chance. Another thing that a religious spirit will do is create sterility. Have you ever been somewhere that it just felt sterile? I mean sterile. You couldn't feel the Lord there? There was nothing there that felt Holy Spirit, anointing. I mean, it just felt so dead. I've been in places like that I've had to preach in places like that It's horrible it's horrible. Another thing is religious spirits pride that leads to an inflated view of oneself and spirituality and knowledge that puffs up the apostle Paul would fall under this category as a Pharisee. If you remember Paul before he got saved, I know you know I thought they did a pretty good job on the uh the bible series that they did with paul i thought they did a good job with paul because paul was a rascal in that series and i believe that's how he was before he got saved i believe that he was pretty mean you know he was a rough character but he was a religious man he was a pharisee he had a religious spirit about him and paul would have fell under this category that he had an inflated view of himself i'm god's servant i am god's man I'm going to go from house to house and wipe out everybody I don't agree with and that's exactly what these religious critics do. I'm God's man. I'm God's sheriff on my little white horse and I will go from revival to revival and I will put everybody in their place because I know what's of God and what's not. An inflated view of themselves that they see themselves as being so superior to everybody else and that they've got a monopoly on God. If God's going to move in the earth, it will be through me. Or... I will know about it, and He will speak to me first. Give me a break. That type of person will be the last person. Jesus will be like, "You know, I'll use you, 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 and, you, and not no, you, 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 and you, not you. No, you know." He oh, he opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And knowledge, puts up a religious person is all about knowledge. They're not about revelation. They're about knowledge. I want more and more information. So that my head can swell and keep swelling and just keep swelling. The big head. Another thing a religious spirit will do is meaningless debates and quarrels about God's word. When I was in Bible school, I had went, I was honestly, I was not for whatever reason, maybe because I was not a real I didn't consider myself to be a super spiritual person. I didn't consider myself to be a scholar. Maybe that was why. But I was never caught up with the the crowd that was trying to meet the right people, do this, that, and the other to promote themselves and all of that. Part of the grace there was that God had me work in this job that I was so busy and so tired. I mean, all I had time to do was pray, go to school, and work and um, so anyway I didn't get caught up in all that garbage but when I went to Brownsville and God mightily touched me there was a few friends of mine that went too and God touched them and one of my friends name was Chad and we used to listen to reggae Christian music sipping on cappuccinos he's the one to some you or my wife will say it was him he was the one that got me drinking coffee yes it was Chad yeah thank you Chad let's, let's appreciate Chad but anyway he got me into good coffee Alright, but we used to sit there and talk about the things of God in revival, but he had a big sign on his door, and there's a scripture, I believe, in in Timothy, one of Paul's writings to Timothy, that says to not have these meaningless quarrels and debates. It was either that or in Ephesians. But he had that scripture in big bold print, he had printed it off and taped it on his door because we had been touched in revival, and all these little guys that knew everything in the Bible... Will come in there and want to fight with Chad, and debate. And Chad was like, "I'm not going to talk to you about God touch me and all. I don't care if you agree with it. I don't care if you think you know, you know." But they just wanted to fight and argue and fuss about what's God, what's not God, Well, what about this, what about that? Well, why this and why that? And Chad's just like, "I just want to love Jesus. I just want to have peace in my room." And so he made the sign, stuck it on his door, and shut his door. And so people, when they came to his room, it was like right at, eye, he made sure it was eye level. So it was like right here. Be like, they would have to read it. And then if they came over to argue with him, he would be like, read the sign. To, you know, shut the door. But these people that have a religious spirit want to debate and argue. And I'll tell you something else. They're not really interested in the truth. They're interested in fighting with you. They're interested in being right. If you come to them and you can prove it, they're still like, I don't believe it. Because they're not interested in being the truth. They're just interested in winning a fight with you. That's a religious person. A religious person also can be very sectarian. Meaning that they don't want, they have their own little clique. See, one of the things about revival that God's done in my life is this. I was powerfully touched in a Brownsville revival, and that's probably my spiritual DNA. But man, I go out of my way to go to other revivals that are completely different. I love Keith Miller's ministry. I went down there. Keith Miller's ministry and that whole unlimited anointing conference where we saw with Bobby Connor, Bill Johnson, many others. They're all anointed, awesome, and all that. But I'm just saying it's totally different streams of revival. You see what I'm saying? Totally different streams. Rodney Howard Brown, different people. And one of the things revival did was it pulled down any sectarian. If this if sectarianism is a word, it pulled that down out of me. Where I was no longer in my little group and what God was doing in this little group was God, but I don't know about that. I don't know about that. That's kind of weird. All that kind of came down. But a religious spirit will be sectarian because a religious spirit sees, whoops, they got through the cracks. They got touched by the Holy Ghost. Now, let's make them be offended with anything else outside of their bubble so at least we got them trapped in that one little thing. A religious spirit produces uniformity. It means that it wants everybody to be a clone. A preacher that has a strong religious spirit will try to clone himself and everybody around him. You need to be just like me. Heaven forbid that everybody's just like me, okay? I'm not after that. But I, my view is, let's all try to be like Jesus, alright? But somebody has a strong religious spirit wants uniformity. They want everybody to look the same, talk the same, dress the same, uniform. That's a religious spirit. And what I mean by that is, they don't like diversity. You remember when we went to these different churches and did the prayer meetings? you couldn't get any different. I mean, at, at Pastor Jeff's church, it was one way. And then you go to Pastor Sergio's church, and it's like South American revival. And then you go to Pastor Paul's church, I don't know how to describe it. I mean, you know, it was just totally different. Totally different. But it was all God. It was all God. You see, somebody who has a religious spirit will say, oh, it's surely of God here at Pastor Sergio's church where everybody's yelling and shouting. But whenever you go over here... It's more quiet, that's not God. No, it was God. God was there. I'm just saying that just because it's different doesn't mean it's not God. See, a religious spirit is very sectarian and uniform. And ultimately, it's divisive. And in my opinion, it's probably the same spirit behind racism. The reason why I say that is because in racism, people have a problem with anybody different than them you see what I'm saying? A religious spirit, you get a little group of people and they have a problem with anybody different than them. It's the same thing. It, it, just think about it for a minute with me. Could that be the same spirit as racism? just It's just spiritual racism. It's like our church is this way, so anybody different, we have a problem with them, they must not be of God. Give me a break. You know, the Lord wants it to be diverse because there's people that they will reach that I may never reach. It's just like the Christian wrestling guys getting in their tights, you know, and getting up there and jumping off the ropes and body slamming people, something I do not want to do. But they are they are reaching people through that that I will probably never... Re- they'll see me come up in my little jacket and go, get out of here, preacher man. But then they'll go up to this guy that just, you know, body slams somebody and go, oh, he's cool. And they'll talk to him, they'll listen to him. And who knows, maybe he'll win them to the Lord. Same thing with Christian rock or rap or whatever. There's different avenues where God is moving in different ways to reach different people. I remember a guy I knew from Canada. was a good friend that we talked for a long time. I've lost track of him. but He was a youth pastor. He told me, he said, he got saved at a Christian rock concert. He was a total heathen, grew up Catholic, never knew the Lord. And he said he just went to this band because he liked their music. That was it. He said he went there to enjoy the concert. So he's there, you know, and he's, he's enjoying the music. And he said, next thing he knows, he said he was in some kind of a bubble. He said he does not know how to describe it. He said, it's the only way I describe it. I was in a bubble. And he said, God's presence descended on me. And he said, I had a revelation of who Jesus really was. And he said, I accepted Christ right there. He said, when I got to the concert, there were people that witnessed to me here and there. But he said, it, "But when the music was going, he said, I just had an encounter with the Lord. And this is a rock, Christian rock band that a lot of people, religious people, would not like these people. If I said their name, they wouldn't like them. But yet, they won a lot of souls. Just because somebody's different, you can't have a problem with them just because they're different. Just because their methods are different. Another thing about religious spirit, it becomes about what man wants. And because of that, almost a complete lack of true power. Many ministries and churches, it's about what the board member, Mr. Big Bucks, and Sister Gripe a lot, it's about what they want. Okay? And because of that, because of catering to them, there's no anointing. And the last thing is the fruit of a religious spirit. Not only critical, fault finding judgmental, but the fruit of a religious spirit a lot of times is health problems, financial lack, rebellion against leaders, and strife in relationships. That's horrible fruit. Horrible fruit. And people, week in and week out, grab this fruit of a religious spirit and they bite into it and they like it. Friend, I don't want the husk of religion. You know, you go to a cornfield, who's going to rip off the husk of corn and chew on that? Who's going to take the banana peel off and chew on the banana peel? That's religion. It's just the husk. It's like cracking open a walnut and chewing on the shell. But people do it week in and week out, and they like it. I don't know how. I don't know how Pentecostal people don't like revival. There are Pentecostal people, tongue-talking, full-gospel people that have seen the power of God, they've seen healings and everything else, but when revival comes, they don't want revival. What in the world? But they don't. There are people out there that do not want revival. I shared all this. This is a transitional sermon. We're about to move into a totally different season. And I'm telling you to be careful of this religious spirit that it doesn't creep into your life. You know a lot about witchcraft because I've talked about the Jezebel spirit a lot. I've talked about Leviathan a lot. But I want to warn you about a religious spirit. Be careful that religion doesn't creep in. Because when it does, it puts out the fire and it tries to replace what God had in your life with something very dark. So let God deeply purge you as an individual. Any of these things I've talked about, has this been a part of your past? Has it been something that you've struggled with? Have you struggled with the gossip? Have you struggled with um, cold love? Have you struggled with pride? Whatever it is, idols. Let God deeply burn it out of you. Purge it out of you. See, a religious spirit is all about performance and not relationship. We need to live holy. But it's about performance. I mean, I'm all about praying for a long time. But a religious person, it's all about how long I pray. Does that make sense? I'm all about praying a long time. But I don't, I don't sit around counting it. Like at the end of the day, I've, I've marked it off my little, you know, yes, I prayed this long and this long, this long. Why would I do that except to brag about it? You know what I'm saying? A religious spirit is all about performance. But the Holy Spirit is all about relationship. Because once you have a relationship with the Lord, then out of that relationship everything will change. A religious spirit will try to grab somebody and just browbeat them into submission. The Holy Spirit will come within and strengthen you up. A religious spirit will condemn you down to where you feel like a piece of garbage. But the Holy Spirit... Will encourage you out of the struggles you have. So where there's condemn, condemnation, that's a religious spirit. But I'm not I'm certainly not taking away from the conviction of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit will convict of sin. He will not tolerate sin. He will judge it, he will convict you. But he does it in a way that gives you the desire to come up out of it. And you know, a religious spirit will simply just take somebody that sinned and just beat them all the way down to where they feel like they're a piece of junk and they'll never amount to anything and you just need to give up and never do anything for God you're not worthy. That's a religious. The Holy Spirit will come in and say, yes, you sinned. It's good that you feel bad about it because godly sorrow leads to repentance. You need to repent. You need to get washed in the blood. But the Holy Spirit says, but now you're forgiven. Let's go. Come on. Follow Jesus. Let's go. And he'll pick you up out of it. And not leave you there. That's the Holy Ghost. Be an intercessor, not an accuser. I'm closing down with this. I want us to pray. Be an intercessor, not an accuser. Remember, Jesus ever lives to make intercession. A religious spirit, when it looks at things, it will find the negative and, and want to tear it down. But somebody that does not have a religious spirit they'll go in somewhere and they'll see the negative and what do they do they go pray for them you see what i'm saying a religious person that has a religious spirit will see the negative and they'll start going around trying to tear it down destroy they want to gossip they want to run down that person they want to they want to tear up the church you know it's not of god it's evil there's something wrong here you know that's their attitude But a person that's a true intercessor that has Jesus' heart will see that something's wrong and they'll go into their prayer closet and they love those people so much that they don't want to expose and destroy. They want to take it to prayer and let God intervene and fix it. There's a lot of things if we would pray, the Holy Ghost would just fix it like that. But what they do is they want to go in and destroy. A religious spirit is all about destruction. And show proper honor to God's people. A religious spirit will never honor other people. They want to be honored, but they don't want to honor others. That's why Jesus said about these Pharisees, He said, you love the seat of honor. You want recognition. You want to sit at the seat where everybody goes, Ooh, look at you. But you never want to humble yourself. This has been pretty thorough about a religious spirit tonight. But I want you to know that I feel... That God's put this on my heart for a reason, so there must be something down the road that we're going to need this. And so I want you to take some time tonight to pray about these things. Make sure there's no religious spirit. And what I feel prophetically too, I felt this last night, is I really feel that God's about to start moving in a much greater way, especially in healing. I feel like there's a flow but see, the Lord is going to get all that religion out of people because that religion can can clog up the flow. See, the problem isn't with God. It's not like God's um, water hose has a kink in it. The problem a lot of times is by the time the water hose gets in you, there's a kink in you. And what came in like a mighty river is coming out like Drip. <laughs> drip. And God's wanting it to be rivers flowing through you, but yet drip. And it's because of all this religion. And see, the Holy Spirit's like, get rid of all that junk so that I can flow without hindrance in and through you like a river. One preacher said some are just drips in the kingdom. It's just a drip here and there. And it's because something has come in that's clogged up the flow. The religious spirit will clog up the flow quicker than anything. So anyway, I'm going to pray for people tonight. Especially, I feel that there's something about a healing ministry that is beginning to unlock. We've had a lot of prophecies about a powerful, incredible healing ministry, healing revival. I've had people prophesy that are credible people. I wouldn't tell it to you if I didn't feel they were credible. Credible people they have prophesied to me that they see creative miracles and miracles on the level of what you read about in the book of acts come in this ministry i mean credible people multiple credible people have told me they see major healing ministry and i feel that especially here lately we've had a very significant impartation from people that have that type of ministry anyway but I really feel like that God's wanting there now to be a flow of healing out there before. But see, the way the Holy Spirit is, He moves, He flows all the time like a river. That's what I was trying to get at earlier when I was talking about this church. That it was like, for anybody that's ever seen Star Trek or something, it's like a time warp. Okay, it's like you, you warped, you know, six, seven years in the future and it's the same. You know, it's like, what's going on? But that's a religious spirit. The Holy Spirit is always moving. There's always a flow. So if we're moving with the Holy Spirit, we're going from glory to glory. Increase of anointing. Increase of faith. Seeing more miracles. You know, a new revelation. So anyway, I send that to say there's a flow that God's wanting to unlock in our ministry right now. But He's wanting people to really humble themselves down and make sure that there's no religion in them that's going to hinder the flow. be honest there was a time that all of you probably when God began to move different ways I'm talking about years ago years ago maybe you would go to a revival meeting or maybe hear something and you would be kind of like well I don't know about that but then over time the Holy Spirit got all that religion out of you and now you can tell pretty quick yeah that's God you see what I mean that's part of the flow and so we're about to move out of this season into a whole different season, a whole other harvest fill, a whole other anointing. And I'm telling you that God's going to pour out His Spirit in a greater way than what we've seen. I've, I know that. I've, I know that for a fact. He's going to increase. But God's wanting to make sure there's no religion in us because He may bring us some people that try your patience. You know, a religious spirit will cause us, if we're not careful, to be impatient. Sometimes certain people it's it's hard to be patient with them because they they're they kind of rub you the wrong way. But that if you'll let the Holy Spirit help you, you can be patient with them. I feel the water starting to stir. All right, here's what I want to do. I want you to pray for a minute about religion. We can shut down the the recordings. You know, feel free to keep live stream always going, you know. I don't want to necessarily shut that down per se, but we're going to pray for people. Maybe move it to an audio thing on the live stream. I feel the Spirit of the Lord saying, I'm saying right now, I'm prophesying, I want you to hear me. I feel the Spirit of the Lord saying that there there are structures, there have been stones that have been set in place against this ministry, structures like strongholds, Where Satan has been coming against this ministry with a religious spirit. And it's produced areas of, of physical health issues. And I feel the Spirit of the Lord saying it's connected. It's connected. The health is connected to the religion. But I also feel the Spirit of the Lord saying that these stones are being pulled down. These stones are coming down. And as they come down, the move of God, the river is flowing. And there's going to be healing and strength. The Lord's about to unclog some drains spiritually that have been clogged. Lord, we ask you to do it. Everybody just pray this out loud, Father. Forgive me. If there's been any religion in my life, if I've been judgmental, critical, if I've been prideful, if I've been fearful, anyway, I've been religious. I repent if my ancestors were religious and there was some kind of generational curse. I repent of that religion and I break that curse off my life. It was nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago. And I thank you for your blood That washes that religion out. So I take authority. I break religion off my life. I destroy it now. I command any religious spirits to go in Jesus' name. Python spirits go. Death and infirmity go. Heaviness go. In Jesus' name. I rebuke it now. And I receive that victory in Jesus' mighty name. Let's take just a few minutes to look over that list, okay, on the back. I want you just to pray about it, look over it. And then I'm going to pray for people. And what I feel God's wanting to do is unlock a flow of a healing ministry in and through you. And I'm telling you that the healing anointing, the healing ministry will also help keep you healthy and protect you. Just pray about it. Take a few minutes.